Well, friends, if you haven't been with us the past few weeks or are perhaps new here this morning, we are in our third week of what is going to be a five-week conversation on the Holy Spirit. And what we've been able to discuss over the last few weeks is actually in uh, so many of our congregations uh, throughout the United States, at least, how little uh, some of us actually know about um, the Holy Spirit. Uh, There was a time in church history very early on in uh, the start of the early church. You can read about it in the book of Acts, which is one of the uh, books of the New Testament, about how the Spirit of God moved powerfully and mightily in that early group of Christians who started the church. And over and over and over and over again in the book of Acts, we read about what the Spirit of God did for those early believers. And it's so interesting that 2,000 years later, most uh, American Christians, at least, and when you say to them, uh, you know, what is, what is the role of the Holy Spirit in your life? Most of us will go, uh, I don't know, that's sort of the mysterious part of God, right? And we, we don't always know what uh, the Spirit of God can do in our lives. Uh, Francis Chan says this. He says, if we read and believed these accounts, these early accounts in the book of Acts, we would actually expect a great deal of the Holy Spirit. He would not be mostly a forgotten member of the Godhead whom we occasionally give a nod of recognition to, which is what he has become in most American churches. We would instead expect our life with the Holy Spirit to look radically different than our old life without him. And I fall into that category as well. Sometimes the Holy Spirit can seem like this sort of forgotten part of the Trinity, or as Dan has mentioned over the last couple weeks, sort of a a, a scary, um, nebulous, mysterious, um, overly excited part that we're like, ah, I'm not sure I I understand that or want to get too involved with that. But the reality is that the Spirit of God wants to do something in each and every one of our lives. The Spirit of God wants to do things for us and wants to do things through us. And we're going to look today at a section of text from the book of John, the second half of chapter 14. If you have your phone or your Bible or whatever, feel free to pull it up. We will, uh, in a little bit here, be starting in John chapter 14, verse 15. But what comes before our text for today is a famous story, the Last Supper. Right before our text for today, Jesus has washed the feet of his disciples. They've shared that last meal together. And I don't know about you, but I often have these sort of idyllic notions of what that Last Supper must have been like sort of reclining in luxury, having fantastic, easy-flowing conversations with Jesus, uh, maybe uh, sharing new stories, or I have in my mind this picture that it was a very warm and fuzzy event. And to be sure, there was warmth and love and grace in those moments. It's why we carry that tradition through to communion. But there was darkness brewing at the edge of that story. And after Jesus washes his disciples' feet, and after they share a meal together, he tells them that he's going to leave them, 
They have no idea what this means. He points out that one of the 12 sitting there having dinner is going to betray him, Judas. He points out that Peter, just a few hours after this meal, is going to argue with a Roman guard in a garden and gets so fired up that he chops the ear off of a Roman guard with his sword. And then just a few hours after that, denies ever knowing Jesus. And Jesus knows that his believers and his disciples are about to be scattered and he's about to be strung up on a cross to suffer a gruesome death. And yes, a resurrection, but the gruesome death is what is looming on the horizon. And the scattering of the disciples is what's about to happen. So while we may think that was a lovely moment, if we look at the teachings, what is happening in that moment is Jesus is preparing them for what is going to happen when he leaves them. And Thomas even asks, he says, Lord, how are you? How are we going to know? What to do? He says, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Philip, one of the other disciples, urges him. He says, Lord, just show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. What are we going to do? Where are you going? We don't understand what you're saying. And then Jesus tells them this, John 14, verses 15 through 21. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you. Advocate. This is Holy Spirit, the Greek word for this, parakletos, Holy Spirit. He will give you the Holy Spirit to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be with you. The Holy Spirit will be with you in all the chaos and turmoil that's coming. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Basically, he's saying, I am leaving. My physical presence is leaving this earth. And it is going to be a very dark and tumultuous time. But don't worry. I'm sending the Spirit to be with you, to be as present with you as if God himself or me and flesh were with you. The three are one, and the presence of the Spirit is just like having me with you. So fast forward, here we are on a rainy Sunday morning, right? What does this mean for us? What does the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, want to do for you, for me, for for us as as we gather here? And what keeps us from letting the Spirit of God do its work in our lives? How many of you have ever called yourself a control freak over something, right? Yes, many of us have, right? I think we have to start this conversation by looking at why we keep such tight control over everything in our lives or most things. Because the Spirit of God, friends, will only work through us when we give up the control or the illusion of control, right, if we're honest, that we have over our own lives. How many of you have ever self-proclaimed as a morning person? Like you just, the morning is your thing, right? How many of you are like night owls? You just, yeah, 
It's like after 7 o'clock, 10 o'clock. Uh, my, uh, my husband and I are a little bit flip-flop like this. Uh, I, I fall asleep um, during maybe the first or second period of the Hawks games, right? <laughs> and uh, he falls asleep during those, but then wakes up and watches the second, like, all the overtime games, right? So he's up till, like, 2 a.m. He, like, wakes up and comes to life late. And um, I'm lucky I can, uh, I can stay through the first or second period. Um, we have in our culture... This sense, uh, the secular clock operates on a sense that morning is the start of the new day. When you wake up, when your body gets out of bed, this is the start of the day, right? So if you're a morning person, this is your moment. And we typically don't think about how to move through our day until the alarm clock goes off because that is when things begin. And many times we might even consider sleep a waste of time. Yes, sometimes we're exhausted and we're just ready to lay down, but have you ever had the thought, wow, what I could get done in 24 hours if I didn't have to sleep, right? Right? So many times we rob ourselves of sleep because there's just one more thing that needs to get done. There's another email that needs to get sent. Maybe we've got a big meeting in the morning, but all the prep work needs to be sent out via email the night before, and we stay up. Vladimir Nabokov says this. He says, sleep is the most moronic fraternity in the world with the heaviest dues and the crudest rituals. He goes on to say he finds it mental torture and he can't get beyond the nightly betrayal that is having to sleep. Now, I don't know if we feel that extreme, right? But this is some hot times how we view it. Interestingly, the Jewish calendar the Jewish community, the Israelite community, the earliest people of God viewed the start of the day and sleep in a completely different way. And it talks to us about the movement of the spirit of God in us and our illusion of control. The Jewish traditions would hold that the day begins at sunset when three stars are visible in the sky. Once you see three stars pop up into the sky, that's the start of your day, which is actually what most of us think is the end of the day, right? The Jewish Sabbath, sundown on Friday through sundown on Saturday. Fasting for some Jewish festivals, Yom Kippur starts at sundown on Friday and goes through sundown on Saturday. Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was what comes first, evening and morning on the first day. They believed the day started in the evening. And the day started in the evening because when you laid yourself down to rest and gave up control over the day and surrendered to the biorhythms of sleep was when the spirit of God could begin to do work in your life. This is repeated five times through the creation narrative. They believed that when you woke up, you joined God in the work that God's spirit was already doing in the world, that you were not in control of what happened at night But God was doing marvelous, brilliant, majestic things in and through you and in the world around you. And when you woke up, you joined them. 
Eugene Peterson says this, The Hebrew evening morning sequence conditions us to the rhythms of grace. We go to sleep, and God begins his work. And as we sleep, he develops his covenant. We wake and are called out to participate in God's creative action. Grace is previous. We wake into a world we didn't make and into a salvation we did not earn. Do you see the difference? What does it look like for you and I to surrender our strivings to the spirit of God so that God can do in us all of the things that scripture promises us, promises us that God is going to do. I want you to think about that this week when you sleep when the stars start to come out in the night sky and you lay yourself down, what are you doing? You're surrendering yourself to the Spirit of God. And it doesn't have to be just about sleep, clearly. This is not a sermon on our sleep habits, and I might be actually putting some of you to sleep by going on and on about this, right? But God wants to do something through us, and we have to give up our illusion of control in order to let God do it. What does the Spirit of God say that it's going to do for us. The text for th- today, John fourteen sixteen, says that, uh, that the, the Greek word used in the NIV is advocate. I'm going to send an advocate for you. It's also translated as comforter, as counselor, as helper. Depending on which version of scriptures you pick up, that will determine which word shows up. And the reality is the Hebrew or the Greek word for spirit was so big, there was no one good English translation for it. And so we have all these different words for us. And they show us what God is going to send his spirit to do for us. And the first is that the spirit of God is going to comfort us, is going to comfort us. In times of confusion and turmoil, God promises comfort to us. Chaos, stress, anxiety, grief, loss. The moments when we find ourselves fumbling through the darkness, trying to find anything tangible to grab onto. The moments where we might even find ourselves going, God, I thought you cared. I thought you loved me. Why did this bad thing happen to that good person? Why did you do this, God? In those stress-filled aching, grief-filled moments, the Spirit of God promises us that he will comfort us. And I realize that it is hard sometimes to really experience that. I know that sometimes, at least I've done this, I have asked for the Spirit of God to fix the problem. And then when it doesn't happen that way, when the person I love is still sick, or still leaves this life, I will say to myself, well, there you go, Spirit of God, way to let me down. (laughs) But God doesn't promise that life is going to be easy or that everything's going to get fixed up perfectly the way we want it. What God promises us is that we will be comforted in those times. And it might be through the gentle hug of a friend. It might be through a prayer that you didn't even know you had inside you to utter. 
It might be that when you laid yourself down to sleep, you woke up just feeling a peace and a presence in you. It might be the neighbor who showed up and was the only one who didn't feel it necessary to just keep talking, 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 right? They just looked at you, smiled, gave you food, and then walked away or something like that, right? And it may just be the chance to go, there is a God, and this too shall pass. The Spirit of God will comfort us, and it will find us in the darkest places. There is light in the dark. Barbara Brown Taylor says this, I have learned things in the dark that I could never have learned in the light, things that have saved my life over and over again, so that there is really only one logical conclusion, that I need darkness as much as I need light. And she goes on to say the reason she needs darkness is so that she can see the light and the Spirit of God in there. Last week we talked a bit about Psalm 139, and you can read it on the screens behind you. It'll scroll through, but it's the psalmist asking, where can I go? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, if I go to the depths, I can't avoid your Spirit, God, because you are there. You are everywhere with us, and the Spirit of God wants to comfort us. In our darkest times, in those dark nights of the soul. John 14, 27, part of our text for today, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The Spirit of God wants to comfort you. And if we allow ourselves his presence, even when things don't go the way we wanted them to, the Spirit of God will be there. I I can promise you it has happened in my own life. I'm speaking from experience. The Spirit of God wants to comfort you. Secondly, the Spirit of God wants to counsel you. The Spirit of God wants to teach us how to do the things of God. We are to be spiritual, lifelong learners, There is never a moment in the Christian faith where we shut the Bible and say, there, I have it all figured out. It doesn't happen as much as we might like it to. You know, I I, I have a four-year graduate degree in this stuff. And when I finished up seminary, I thought to myself, I don't know anything. (laughs) The more you study, the more you don't know sometimes. And the Spirit of God wants to counsel us wants to teach us the ways of God. John 16, 13, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you. The spirit will guide you into all truth, which is to say the spirit will guide you in the ways of the things of God. In the same way, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. All of this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Friends, is the Spirit of God trying to teach you something? Is there a lesson that God has for you to learn that if you just relinquished control and laid down to sleep, so to speak, that God could teach you? Are there lessons about honesty at work or at school or at home 
Is there a lesson about honoring our parents, supporting our children, working well with our peers and our colleagues, getting along with what Dan called last night our crusty neighbors? <laughs> is, there, is there a lesson about avoiding and the lure and the lust for all of the toys and the lifestyles and the shiny objects that are all around us in our culture? Are we to learn the art of patience? and calmness and humility. If you think about Galatians 5 and those fruits of the Spirit, kindness, gentleness, peace, patience, self-control, none of those come easy, do they? But if you, if you want the Spirit of God to teach you patience, you better believe your patience is going to be tested. Right? God just doesn't uh, wave a wand over us and go, there now, you're a very patient person. And friends, I've been praying for patience for most of my life. <laughs> it hasn't happened the way I want it to yet. And I want to wake up I want to wake up and have patience as part of my repertoire, right? But reality, I need to work through the situations that make me phenomenally impatient. And we need to get over our stubbornness and some of our jealousy that certain people seem to have certain fruits of the Spirit and gifts that just seem to come to them naturally. And some of us are stubborn learners. I remember years ago when uh, my husband Joel and I uh, decided we wanted to take whitewater kayaking classes. You know, because there's so much white water in the Midwest, right? You know, so we went to this little class and we sat in our little kayaks. We were in a pool and they were trying to teach us how to do the barrel roll, which is that, you know, roll that the kayakers do. And they tried to explain it. And the instructors for the class said, you know, this is very hard to do and takes people months and some of them years to learn how to do the barrel roll. And, you know, you're going to try and you're going to flounder and you're not going to be able to do it. And don't let that upset you. Don't let that get you down. And then they showed us all the movements that it would take. And my husband did it on the first try. And nobody else did. I floundered upside down and, and fell out of my boat. And I didn't talk to him for 24 hours after that. And he goes, babe, it's no big deal. You just flip the pedal like this. And I was like, it's a huge deal. I can't do it. And I hate you that you can, right? And, you know, he had, he had things to teach me. He actually, uh, he's a very patient man. He's very good at teaching people things. And he was able to tell me a way to do it that I didn't understand from the instructors. Had I bothered to listen to him that night, I probably could have pulled it off that night. But I was so stubborn and so angry that I didn't get to do it either that I wouldn't even listen to him, right? And this is just the kayak. How many of us do this with God, right? <laughs> I know, but I'm stubborn and I want it my way. And it's not easy. The Spirit of God is going to teach us things, is going to counsel us if only we would be willing learners. And it's complicated and it's hard, but we have the promise that if we surrender ourselves and lay our lives down to the lessons of God, we will learn the things of God, patience and joy and peace and the pursuit of justice and the gift of mercy and hospitality and presence. All the things that when we experience them in other people, we go, wow, I just want to hang out with that person. Lastly, beyond comfort and beyond counsel, one of the other things that I promise you the Spirit of God will do for you is to mess up your life. The Spirit of God is going to mess up your life. How many of you are excited about that, right? The Spirit of God is going to change things in you. If you let the Spirit of God comfort you, and you let the Spirit of God counsel you and move you toward the fruits, your life will get not easier, 
it will get more complicated because you will have to call into question some of your relationships, whether or not you're actually as kind to that person as you should be. And it will, the spirit of God will teach you to be more kind and that will be hard. And the spirit of God may mess with your finances and suddenly nudge you toward generosity And the spirit of God might have you see a community or a group of people that you used to just walk right past because that was easier. And the spirit of God might suddenly put those people on your heart, on your mind, or even at your kitchen table. And sometimes that stresses us out. At least I know it stresses me out. Walter Brueggemann says that unease is a holy thing. Look what the spirit of God what following Jesus did to the early disciples, right? And that was not easy for them. Look what it did to Peter. I mean, Peter left everything, got all tangled up and argumentative with Roman guards, with Jesus himself. Jesus eventually uses him to start the church. And scholars believe at the end of his life, you know what his reward was for that? He was crucified upside down. Mary, the mother of Jesus, that was kind of a tough role to play. <laughs> Let's go from just living in our day to the unwed Jewish mother of a baby boy who happens to be God. What about Abram and all these people from the Old Testament? If you looked at what God did in their lives, you would see that it wasn't easy. And while we don't have the privilege of conversation with those folks, I'm willing to bet we could have a conversation with them. And maybe we get that when we get to heaven. I don't know. But they would tell you they wouldn't change it for a thing. The Spirit of God will not let you keep on with the status quo. Because none of us have things figured out to the extent where we, again, can close the Bible and say, nailed it, (laughs) got it figured out. And if you don't feel unease or a tug or a nudge towards something, you might want to ask yourself, am I actually asking God to teach me something? Am I actually willing to? myself to sleep so that the spirit of God can move in me. The spirit of God will not let you get off with an easy life, but I promise you the spirit of God will give you a life you never imagined and will lead you to people and to places and to adventures and to hope and joy and moments that you could never, ever have imagined. And so just to close, I want to ask us this one quick question. How, right? (laughs) So how am I supposed to do this? It's not just changing our mindset of sleep. That's just the example of the control parts of our lives. But in many ways, that picture of sleep invites us to be vulnerable. Have you ever seen a young infant sleep? (laughs) Right? They throw their arms and legs all back like this full surrender. My husband and I used to sneak into our kids' rooms and just watch them because there were, I, I, I don't have moments that look that carefree and given over like the way a newborn looks when it's sleeping. How do we get that way in our spirits? I mean, first, we have to learn to pray. If you don't know how to pray, that's okay. Maybe you just say, please, God, bring your spirit to me. Please, God, bring your spirit to my life. Just close your eyes and pray for the spirit of God to come. You do not need fancy words or to have read a million books. You just need to say to God, please let your Holy Spirit be part of my life, be the driving force of my life. You need to listen. 
We have a loud culture. People are talking all the time. Marketing and advertising are always in your space. You, you watch news and there's one story on the screen and then there's four stories going across the bottom, right? Like there's no space to think. Give yourself space to think. Turn the radio off in the car. Go for a run or a walk in the morning. Wake up early before anybody else in your house is awake and just sit and go, God, is there something you want me to know? And then resist the temptation to just give God your list of things that you need for the day. And just sit and see what thoughts come to mind. You're not likely, although some of you might, to get this big audible voice from heaven that says, I want you to move to London, right? That'd be cool, right? But the reality is you're going to sit and it's going to be quiet. But things might come to your mind that wouldn't have come to your mind if you had the radio going or the TV going or whatever. Or suddenly you're going to remember that three weeks ago you saw that woman who just moved in down the street and you had meant to go back and introduce yourself, but you hadn't yet. And so then you're going to walk down the street and you might knock on the door of a neighbor's house just because God brought it back to your mind. Or maybe you're going to sit because you're in grief and agony and you're just going to remember the verse we had today. My peace I give with you. My peace I leave with you. Something is going to happen. And maybe you're going to fall back asleep. And that's totally okay too because maybe the gift of God in that moment is that you need more rest. Pray and listen and put yourself in a place where the presence of God can move in your life and can comfort you and can counsel you and can mess with you as well. Amen? Amen. Amen. I, uh, you know, usually the formula for a sermon, right, is the pastor gets up here and does that thing, their thing, and then they kind of end with like this pithy little story, like, now go get them, right? We're going to end, I'm going to give you a minute of silence, and then I'm going to pray. And maybe God has something for you in this moment. Or maybe in that moment, you just say, Lord, send me your spirit. Lord, send me your spirit. If you have kids and they start screaming their heads off, that's okay. <laughs> Don't stress. Just sit and be for one minute. And then we'll have the band come back up as I close us in prayer. Let's close our eyes and just sit for a minute.
Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that we can come to you. Teach us to pray. Teach us to listen. Help us remember that you have good things for our life, that your spirit wants to comfort us and wants to guide us and wants to mess with us, Lord, a little bit too. And to move us, Lord, toward your kingdom things. So help us be people that know those things and begin to live them. And help us help one another as well, Lord. Let us feel the freedom and the boldness to share our stories and to share our prayers and our experiences if you lead us to that as well. And may we continue to live in the power of your spirit just like those early believers did over 2,000 years ago. In Jesus' name, we humbly ask and we boldly pray. Amen.